Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. A Gentle Thief, written and performed by Amanda Dixon. Episode 17. In episode 16, Sophie Brownlee is at the office, frustrated that she hasn't heard back from any of the medical examiners who she has sent the material to about the death of Madeline Johnson. It's been almost a month. So she is thinking about taking a trip to Cedar City to investigate the case herself, perhaps interview Consolier. She works on the other attorney's cases through the night so she can go home and take a shower and begin her trip to Cedar City. And just as she talks to her boss, Rick Day, on the phone, he tells her, you're not going. And that's where they left it at the end of episode 16. Now, episode 17 of A Gentle Thief. December 29th, 1983. They slept most of the next day. When Maddie woke, she had that unsettled sensation of not being sure what time of day it was, or even what day. She knew the light didn't seem right for morning. When she rolled over and saw the clock said 4.30, she knew it was p.m. It felt surreal. She turned back to see Khan's eyes blinking open. Good morning, Maddie whispered. She hadn't said that to a man for quite a while. What time is it? Khan asked groggily. It's 4.30 in the afternoon. Can you believe it? Maddie felt giddy with the decadence of having slept through a whole day. I'm starving, Khan said before he was fully conscious. Me too, Maddie realized. Let's go pig out. When she opened the fridge, she was thrilled to see so much food. Yes, she said with enthusiasm as she started taking ham and bread out of the refrigerator. She pulled mayonnaise and mustard from the door and reached for a knife. How does a ham sandwich sound? She called toward the bedroom. Khan walked into the kitchen, rubbing his face. Great, he said sleepily, but with enthusiasm. Maddie pulled still tender pieces of honey-baked ham from the pre-sliced package and laid them on the whole wheat bread. She smeared mustard and mayo on everything and took a bite of hers before finishing Khan's. Then she grabbed a canister of Pringles and carried the chips and sandwiches into the living room, where Khan had positioned himself on the couch. After they gorged themselves, they both reclined on the couch with their feet up on the coffee table. Maddie reached for a pillow and put it on her lap, letting her stomach relax into it. Khan reached for the remote, and they proceeded to watch a college bowl game without really noticing anything they were seeing— it could have been Texas A&M or USC or maybe Nebraska. The uniforms were red. Neither of them took note of more than that, at least not at first, but the action of the game kept their minds off digestion and off the intensity of what had transpired between them the night before. 
as life came back into them, they started to make fun of television, joking about the commentator's intensity, doing imitations of the play-by-play announcer. Khan made fun of the cheerleaders. Maddie defended their athleticism and their ponytails before agreeing with Khan. They laughed like only two people with very full stomachs can laugh. At halftime, Khan asked, What should we have for dessert? Maddie snorted, Are you serious? Absolutely, he answered eagerly. Well, alrighty then. She got up with some effort and walked to the kitchen. She called out his options from behind the cupboards. Okay, we've got chocolate chip cookies, graham crackers and milk, frosted flakes, strawberry jam that we could put on crackers or bread. Oh, and we have ice cream. We've got mint chocolate chip or French vanilla with chocolate syrup. Hmm, I want mint chocolate chip with chocolate syrup and chocolate chip cookies on the side, Con dictated without hesitation. Maddie ran a spoon under hot water, then scooped two big cereal bowls of ice cream and smothered them in Hershey syrup. She put spoons in the bowls and tucked the chips ahoy under her arm. Mahaha! Con cackled when he saw the creations, obviously pleased. They slurped in silence as the second half began, dipping cookies in the melting ice cream and scraping chocolate syrup from the side of the bowl to get every last drop. When they finished, they were too full to move. An hour later, they were too full to realize the game had ended and they were watching some irritating sitcom. Khan fell asleep with his mouth wide open. It was his snoring that jolted Maddie out of her daze. She took Khan's hand and pulled it gently. Come on, Khan, she urged. Let's go back to bed. Without saying a word, and perhaps without waking, he slowly gave in and started back toward the bedroom. The two lied down on top of the covers, too tired to undress, unaware of any discomfort. The clock on the bedside table said 8.15. When Maddie woke in the wee hours of the morning, she was aware of that itchy, irritable feeling from sleeping in her clothes again. Her mouth felt icky, too. She moved her tongue over her teeth and stretched. She had heard Khan snoring in the night, but he was silent now. He had gotten under the covers at some point, but not undressed. Maddie was grateful for that. She got up quietly, trying not to wake him. He didn't move. Maddie tiptoed out of the bedroom and pulled the door closed behind her, turning the knob slowly so its catching didn't make a sound. She walked to the bathroom and wondered if she could run a bath without waking him. She thought so. She had slept enough in the last 24 hours to last her for a while, and it had been such heavy sleep, the sleep of the dead. After she brushed her teeth, Maddie decided what she really needed was a run. Run first, then bath. When she opened the front door to the pre-dawn morning, the air shocked her. Whoa, she said out loud. It was thrilling, the coldness and the openness. This was going to be a great run. She came out onto 200 North and noticed a couple of truckers filling up at the gas station. Driving long-haul trucks seemed like such a lonely business. The one trucker tipped his hat to her as she jogged by. "'Morning,' she chirped in reply. She crossed the street and headed east back up toward Main Street. She could have run for another hour, but she didn't want Con to wake and wonder where she was. Her pace was strong this morning, even after the three or more miles she had already run. The running felt effortless today. It was the sleep, she thought, or maybe the carbo-loading from the night before. Or maybe it was the cold air, or the thought of Khan in her home, asleep in her bed, 
Whatever it was, it made running as exhilarating and restorative as it had ever been. She started walking when she hit the end of Red Rock Drive. She inhaled the frigid air deeply, letting it sting her lungs. Ah, good. As Maddie looked up, it appeared the light was on in her kitchen. She wondered if Con was awake, maybe eating again. She smiled to herself as she remembered the carnage from the night before. She cringed when she realized all those dishes were still sitting in the sink. When she reached the porch, she saw Con in the kitchen. He was holding the phone to his ear. Who was he talking to at this hour? He nodded at her and smiled as she came in and closed the door behind her. Okay, all right, I gotta go. He gestured to her that he was trying to wrap it up. I'll see you then. And he hung up. Who was that? Maddie asked, then hated herself for asking it. Nobody, Con answered, and came around to the living room where Maddie had started stretching on the floor. How was your run? So good, she said, trying desperately not to care who he had been talking to. He sat down on the couch and seemed like he was waiting for something. After a minute, he patted his knees and said, Well, I better get going. Maddie didn't say anything. She just kept stretching as he put on his coat. Then he bent to her, kissed the top of her head, and walked out the door. The silence in his absence felt like cotton had been pulled out of her ears. The house sounded alive. She heard a bird outside on the porch. She heard the air from the heater vent and felt the morning light begin to fill the living room. It was glorious and sickening. She began to feel a little lightheaded and nauseous. She put her head down between her knees, something she had learned to do as a child, but that she was not at all convinced worked. She knew who he had been talking to, or at least she knew the gender. It was a girl. It was probably Gina. It was someone who would give him what she would not, what she could not. She slept with him last night, here, in her bed. Did that mean nothing? To know he had spent two days with her and then left her to go be with Gina made her physically ill. How could he be so close to her and so far away at the same time? Who was he? Who was this monster, this duplicitous demon who inspired her vulnerability and then treated her so coldly? She walked weakly to the bathroom and turned on the tub. Only with the pounding of the bathtub faucet did she let her own sobbing begin. She didn't want to hear her own sound. The rush of the water drowned her out. She peeled off her damp clothes and climbed in, embarrassed of everything that had passed between her and Con since Saturday afternoon. She shook with the memory of the appointment at Dr. Theron's. She chastised herself for talking so openly in front of him. And then last night, the companionship of pigging out and watching TV, they had felt like friends. Perhaps that's what they were. No, they weren't friends. Friends did not hurt each other on purpose. He had done that to her, and she to him. They were not friends. They were demons. And like all demons, they needed to be cast out. December 30th, 1983. Maddie woke this morning to a sense of freedom in the air. She had slept fitfully, even after taking her sleeping pill. 
But in those first minutes of consciousness that so often set the tone for the day, she felt hope. The new year was coming, and with it brought a new beginning. She would go back to the classroom in a few days' time. She would have another chance with her students, with her life. Khan had not returned yesterday after leaving so early in the morning. He had not come back, and he had not called. Maddie fought with herself throughout the day, resisted the desire to call him, to drive past his work, his house, Gina's house. She didn't know where Gina lived exactly, but it wasn't a big town. His jeep stood out. If she had driven the streets with any method, she would have found it. And then what? Would she have walked up to the front door and confronted him, confronted her? This is what stopped her from getting in the car and going after him. She had no answers to the obvious questions. What was she going after him for? Early on this Tuesday morning, she wondered how she would face her life alone. She wondered if she'd find an honesty in herself she had not known before. Maybe she'd even stop obsessing about Khan, about her dad, about everything. She felt curious, and curiosity felt good. She lied in bed, letting the day come on as her thoughts wandered. She was in no hurry. There was nowhere to be today and nothing to do, although she began to make lists in her head of the lesson plans she would start on after her run this morning. When her stomach started to growl, she finally dragged herself out of bed. It wasn't late, not even nine o'clock, but she'd been awake for quite a while. She put her robe on, pulled the belt tight, and walked toward the kitchen. Khan was sitting in her living room. <gasps> she screamed. You startled me. What are you doing here? She could see that he'd been crying. How did you get in? How long have you been sitting here? Are you all right? Maddie felt confused and slightly violated. You never lock your door, Maddie. It's not good. What's the matter? She asked, focusing now on the sunken quality of his face. Everything? He shrugged. Everything and everyone. It's all, it's all wrong. He wasn't weeping, but his eyes were wet and his voice was scratchy. He looked unstable. Maddie realized she was a little frightened. She sat down next to him on the couch. Talk, talk to me, she urged. I can't talk to you about this. About what? About Gina. He looked into her eyes, checking for permission. What about Gina? Maddie asked, irritated that he had come into her home uninvited to bring up a subject he knew would anger her. What I feel with her, physically, is so powerful. Maddie felt a wave of nausea pass through her. I mean, it's, it's irresistible. It's just so powerful. But what I feel with you is powerful, too, just in a totally different way. He paused as if to invite her comment. She had none. I'm confused, Maddie. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. When I'm with her, I miss you. When I'm with you, my thoughts start to wander to her. I woke up in the night last night in her apartment, and I had to come to you. And now that I'm here, I'm afraid I shouldn't have. He seemed so small at that moment, so small and weak and lost. The light she thought she had seen emanating from his skin when they met just a few months ago was not there. It felt as if it was coming from her now. She was the light. No, you shouldn't have, Khan, she said with patience and strength. It's okay that you did, but you shouldn't have. It's time for you to leave me alone now. But I can't. That's the thing. He turned to face her, energized. 
The more you push me away, the more I want you. The more I know you can live without me, the more I want you. The more Gina wants me to see her every day, the more I want you. Weren't these the things Maddie had longed to hear him say? Even just yesterday, as she tortured herself with the thoughts of him and Gina, hadn't she fantasized about Con waking up and realizing he was in love with her? Yes, but no longer. Now she was light, and she saw things clearly. No, you don't, she said calmly. You don't want me. You want to hide in me. You want the power you feel in me. You're more fascinated by the idea of me than of me as an actual human being. I mean, you lit up when I talked about my accident at Dr. Theron's. It was like the fact that I had killed someone made me more exciting to you. Do you get how sick that is? She paused for a response, but there was none. It's all okay, Con. You came into my life at a time when I needed light, and I thought I saw it in you. But it wasn't there. It was never there. It was in me all along. Maddie chuckled. I thought I was in love with you, but I get it now. It was never you. Con looked irritated suddenly, wounded. So that's it. You're just done with me now. See you later. Don't get mad at me. You're the one who's sleeping with another woman, who is struggling with your powerful feelings for another woman. Stop struggling. Go be with Gina. You have my blessing. Oh, that's great. That's just great. Now you've got it all figured out. You've come to some spiritual awakening, and you're done with me. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. See you, Con. It's been real. Maddie was beginning to feel uneasy with Con's energy. He was twitching and jerking just slightly. His eyes were darting around the room, and his left leg was bouncing. We can talk about this more another time, okay? Maddie tried to comfort him. But right now, it looks like you need some sleep. Thanks for the concern, but I don't need sleep, he jumped up. I know what I need, and I'm not going to find it here. He looked at her through bloodshot eyes and headed for the door. Before he opened it, he lashed out one more time. You are one messed up chick, you know that? Then he stormed out. This time, his leaving felt like sweet relief. Maddie sat in silence most of the day. She ignored the phone, fearing it was Khan, and prayed he wouldn't just show up at her house again. She vowed she would keep her door locked at all times from now on, whether she was home or not. She wouldn't be paranoid, but she would be smart. By the afternoon, she finally started to feel hungry and went to the kitchen. The ham looked disgusting to her now. She threw it away, along with all the reminders of a Christmas dinner never made. She opted instead for ramen noodles, hot and salty. She sat back down on the couch and slurped them while staring out the window. She saw Junior pull into his driveway. Maddie wondered if he was taking the afternoon off or maybe just home for a little lunch. A few minutes later, Junior appeared on the porch. He stopped. He wasn't walking to his truck. He was just standing there, looking in Maddie's direction. Maddie scampered to the window and waved. He put his hand up over his eyes like he was trying to see her. She opened her front door and yelled, Hey! He waved without yelling back, then started down the drive toward her. Beth appeared on the porch behind him and shouted loud enough that Maddie could hear. And where do you think you're going? To her house? Is that where you're going? We were having a conversation here. No, we weren't. 
You were talking. I was listening. I'm done listening, Junior yelled back. He turned back toward Maddie and kept coming. You go on. Go on down to Miss Messed Ups, and the two of you can have a pity party all afternoon, loser. Junior didn't respond. He kept on walking. When he reached the porch, Maddie stepped aside and let him walk right in. As she closed the front door, Beth was still standing on Junior's porch, glaring in her direction. Junior sat down on the couch, then stood up and walked toward the kitchen. He looked like he was going to get something at first, but then Maddie realized he was just pacing. She is one scary woman, he finally said. I've never understood what you saw in her, Maddie admitted. It's hard to explain, was all Junior offered in response. Want some coffee? Maddie offered. Yeah, that'd be great. sick of that damsel in distress down there. I could just throw up. Beth spit out the words as she handed Ken and Joey each a beer. What's she doing now? Ken asked. They assumed their usual positions on the couch. Crying on Junior's shoulder, I'm sure, about that lousy boyfriend of hers who's hanging out with Gina now. Oh, I know that guy. What's his name? Joey asked. Con something, Ken answered. He's the guy on the radio, Joey added. Screw that guy. He can have anybody he wants. I just wish his girlfriend here, little Miss Femme Fatale, would keep her hands off what's mine. Where is Junior anyway? Ken asked. He's down there. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You guys are so thick. Beth was in no mood today. What's he doing down there? Joey asked, unfazed by the insult. I don't know, but I have half a mind to march down there and find out. Why don't you let me do it? I'll sneak around the back and put the fear of God into them both. (laughs) Ken laughed, touching his hand to the gun he carried on his belt. Ken had a permit to carry a concealed weapon in Utah. Most of his friends did, too. Beth started nodding her head, the wheels turning in her brain. That's not a half-bad idea, she said. Ken started to get up. Sit down, you idiot. We've got to think this through, Beth directed. Ken and Joey took long swigs from their beers and waited for Beth to tell them what to do. It was their way with each other. Maybe what little Miss Sunshine needs down there is some motivation to go back to New York or wherever she came from. Beth was thinking out loud now. I mean, she's not married anymore. She's got no family around here. There's no reason for her to be here. But doesn't she own this house? Joey asked. She could sell it, couldn't she? Or she could just keep renting it to Junior and then rent hers out, too. A house isn't a good enough reason to stay somewhere, especially not here when she's got no family around. Beth was talking herself into something. What did you have in mind? Ken asked. I don't want you to hurt her or anything, Beth smiled. I'm just sick of her crap. I'm sick of her little jogging outfits and her goofy two-shoes attitude. I'm sick of her needing things fixed at her house and then just happening to be fixing lunch. Would you like something to eat, Junior? Beth said in a mocking tone. It's such a crock. She's just bad news, and she needs to go. Ken and Joey waited for more. I remember Junior saying one time how she never locks her door. When she's home, when she's out, even when she's sleeping, that thing is always unlocked, Beth said with a smile. Sounds like an invitation to trouble, Ken laughed. Maybe you could just get drunk and stumble into the wrong house tonight and have a little party with Miss Ponytail. Beth suggested with disgust dripping off of her words. Ken laughed as his mouth started to water. What are you talking about? It was Junior. He was standing with his hands on his hips in the entrance to the living room. No one had heard him come in. Oh, you're back. I didn't hear you. Beth started. Junior interrupted her. 
I know you didn't hear me. I heard you talking about Maddie and a plan to break into her house. His voice was rising as he spoke. Not break in, sweetie. You're the one who told me she leaves her house unlocked all the time. Beth was trying to flirt her way out of it. Get out, Junior said. Get out, the three of you. I'm done with this. I'm done with you, Beth, and I am definitely done with the two of you. 